Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Finish the sermon that we started last week, and this is actually Acts chapter 2. It's kind of known as the first Christian sermon. Um, but I want to tell you that there's so much excitement inside of my heart right now, I can hardly stand it. I'm, I'm going to need some help this morning. So we're going to go old school, do some shouting, okay? Um, here's why. The, the message today of the scripture is so full of hope that you can't help once you get it to just, just be excited and, and find that, that it is all-encompassing. The best way I can describe it is like this. Yesterday, well, not the best way, but a way. Yesterday, I, I got this desire uh, to make some fish tacos. And, and some reason or another, I remembered that a friend of mine, or an, an actual Greek, um, gave me a recipe for some tzatziki, 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 whatever the heck that stuff's called. How do you say it? Tzatziki? Tzatziki, okay. So tzatziki sauce. And so I dug it up in my email. This was like two or three years ago he gave me this recipe. And I'm like, cool, I need five ingredients. I had everything but the yogurt. So I went to the store and I got the yogurt and I came back and I started to make this. It was a cucumber and it was uh, Greek yogurt and then it was salt and pepper and then it was uh, some garlic. And in the actual recipe, my, my Greek friend said... Use one clove of garlic pressed down or chopped up finely and put it in there. But if you were really a Greek, you'd use three. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be outdone by a Greek, right? I don't want to do this half-heartedly. So I did three, three cloves of garlic. And I, I, mean, I was like emerald. I was doing my fingernail kind of thing right there. It's hard to cut garlic. Do you know that stuff's sticky? And I was cutting it all up and I put it in there and I mixed it all up. Made my fish tacos, slathered it on top. And I took a first bite and I'm thinking, oh my. You hungry yet? It was, it was so good. I took a picture of it and put it on Facebook. I'm just telling you, it was that good, right? Here's the thing. It was, it was, it was literally just breathtakingly, marvelously delicious. But then I, I started noticing, wow, that's garlicky. And I thought to myself, maybe three garlic cloves in that small of a container wasn't a great idea. About an hour and a half later, I started to smell my own breath. And I'm like, whoa, I better go get some mouthwash. So I went and I, I chugged some uh, Listerine, right? The Listerine wouldn't hide it. So about three hours later, um, we, we had some, some, uh, uh, some medical calls last night. And I was like, I better do some more before I go talk to these people, right? And so all night long, I was chugging Listerine. I wasn't swallowing it. But then I thought to myself, I, th I think I got it. Woke up this morning, I went over and I was going to kiss my wife. And I'm like, Whoop, nope, ain't going to happen this morning. She would slap me. And, and even now, I can taste the garlic. Why am I telling you this? Because this message that was preached by the Apostle Peter almost 2,000 years ago, when it gets inside of you, it doesn't leave. You can try to hide it. You can try to bury it. You can try to pretend it ain't there. But when it truly takes root in your soul, you can't help but to hold on to hope. Because hope is the key word. 
We've got some craziness going on in our world right now. We've got a world that is going out of its mind. And it's not just one issue, it's multiple issues. And as I've talked to you in the last several weeks, you know, these things are spiraling out of control and we seem somewhat helpless to be able to do anything to fix it or change it. But I want to tell you, we have the answer and the answer rests squarely in the, upon the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, it is not just for how to not go to hell. The gospel is not, seem, is, is not just something that we need to hear when we're lost. I hear the gospel, I trust in Christ, and now I can live the rest of my life. No, we need the gospel every day. Because the gospel is the very center, it's the very foundation of who we are in our very existence the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the good news of a king who has a kingdom and who is a king who will never be shaken, who will never be toppled, who will never fear, who will never uh, uh, turn and run. He is a king who is king of all kings and lord of all lords. And so in Acts chapter 2, I want to start kind of where we left off last week, and, but I want to overlap just a little bit to remind us of the context. So, Peter stands up in this crowd that has gathered because the crowd heard the disciples speaking in their own languages. Remember, at this time, there were people from all over the world that had come to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they had all the different languages and all these people groups. And on this one particular morning, which was Pentecost, they heard the people of God speaking the gospel in their own language. And they were saying to themselves, something marvelous is happening or these people have been drinking. That was, their, that was their, their thought. Either they're drunk or there's something else going on. Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd and he says, Men, listen, this is not a strange drunken fest. This is something supernatural. And he begins to unfold the gospel to the hearers. The hearers would have been primarily Jews. And so he went back into the Old Testament scriptures and began to unfold what the Old Testament said about what was happening in that moment. And so in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God. That's where I want to start. Anytime you have a but God, you've got something good. It's like having a teenager. You tell them to do something, but, right? It's a, there's always this but there. Well, there's a but in the Bible, and it's but God. And let me tell you something. Anytime there's a but God, the impossible is overcome. The impossible is toppled. Why? Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is all sufficient in who he is. He's done everything he ever needs to do to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Can I get a witness? Y'all ain't hearing me this morning. I'm telling you, this, this passage says that Jesus Christ changed the course of everything. But... God, verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. You see, there's one or two verses that talk about the life 
death and burial of Jesus. In the gospel story here, Peter says, oh, by the way, Jesus came, lived, and died. And it was by God's sovereign design. It was by his plan. Kevin just mentioned this a moment ago. It is God who oftentimes brings his people into difficult situations. It is God who oftentimes brings us into places where there is no way out. So that he can show us, but God. You don't know how strong God is until you've seen how strong God is. Up until that point, it's all theory. Up until that point, it's just what you've heard. But let me tell you, there's a massive difference between somebody who's heard stories of God's impossible power and who's lived God's impossible power. Amen? Once you've lived it, it sinks into your soul and you say, you know what? You can try to convince me all you want, but I've seen it with my own eyes. I've, I've experienced it with my own life. I've touched it with my own hands. I've heard it with my own ears. I've spoken it with my own lips. But God raised him from the dead... Listen to this, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Whoo! Freeing him from the agony of death. That word agony literally means the birth pangs. So Jesus, if you can, if you can paint this picture on a, on, a, on a canvas, Jesus was being held by death. And there was this, these were the birth pangs of death. Meaning, death was holding on to him, struggling, trying to keep him down. But God freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was as if death was reaching and grasping and trying its best to keep a hold of Jesus. But Jesus, with all power and authority, broke through and was set free from it. Now, I want you to know why this is important in your life and in my life. Because with all this junk that we see going on, that is of death. That is something, I think, much of it anyways, is from the pit of hell itself. And it's meant to cause fear, and it's meant to cause chaos, and it's meant to cause confusion. But God, but God, in the midst of all of this, we have a resurrected Christ who is all-powerful. And when death tried to swallow up the Son of the living God, it could not hold Him. I want you to imagine chains, and I want you to imagine ropes, and I want you to imagine being put inside of a, of, of a, of a body bag. And Jesus just goes, Bah! I can't even describe how much power we're talking about here. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 11, uh, verse 25. Jesus says to one of the women who were, who was a, a, a relative of Lazarus, he says, I am the what? Resurrection and the life. He who comes into me, though he, though he die, yet he may live. Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. What a bold proclamation. Jesus speaks of death as this small, petty thing in comparison to his great power. And it was demonstrated as a small, petty thing compared to his great resurrection power. Listen to me. The biggest thing for you and I to fear is the fear of death. Right? I mean, everything else in life is insurmountable. But as we know, there are two things that are for certain. Death and what? Taxes, right? Yeah. 
Well, you can skirt taxes. Won't turn out good for you, but you can, you can get around them. But you will not get around death. But Jesus says, do not fear death because it has no hold on you. So why would there be this great hope in you and me in the midst of all of this death around us? Because it's a temporary thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking forward to the trip, but I'm just saying, literally, there is no hold that death has on us because of the resurrected Christ Jesus. And as this sermon is being preached to the crowd, there, there was something that God was doing inside of them. He was stirring them. We know that because in a few verses later, it says they were cut to the heart. And so, death... Was, he was set free from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then David said about him, verse 25. So now Peter is going to quote Psalm 16. And he quotes this psalm trying to, again, tie the, the, the making a bridge between the gospel and what they had heard all of their life through the Old Testament prophets, right? And so he said, let me tell you a psalm. Psalm 16. Now this psalm is David speaking, but it is, but it is David, David speaking the words that, from Jesus' perspective, right? This is a, a, a messianic prophecy. It says in verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Here's what I want you to hear from this. Jesus... This, this, these are the words that Jesus, about Jesus, all right? So this is from his perspective. Well, Jesus is the son of the living God. But the Bible says that you have been grafted in. So you, if you know Christ Jesus, are part of the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. And what I want you to understand is that this very same uh, hope that is in this psalm, is the hope that you have living inside of you. Now, you're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus. But because of Jesus, we have the same light, the same hope inside of us. And listen to how he describes it. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Imagine Jesus saying, I saw the Lord. I saw my Father always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. There's a confidence in that. Now, what is the meaning behind he is at my right hand? Well, in, in ancient times, to be at somebody's right hand in, in this particular context means that, that the person is a bodyguard, the person is a protector. Because on the right-hand side, they can protect you with the shield on the left and then swing the sword with the right. So it's Jesus saying, my father is watching over me. My father has got me. My father will not abandon me. My father will not let me be put to shame. He's saying, I trust in the will of my father because I am my father's son. Listen, I have a son and I have two daughters and, and I will protect them at all costs because that's what fathers do. You have a father and his name is God the Father. <laughs> I, was, I was actually confused there because he actually has so many names it would take all day and all night to describe them. 
And the names are not names that we've given him. They're names that he spoke of himself. Do you know what I'm talking about there? In other words, God said, let me reveal myself to you. So we have several thousand years of God revealing himself through his own names. I am provider. I am protector. I am your banner. I am your, uh, I'm your healer. I, I mean, all, of these, you know, all of these names that he said, this is how you will know me. He was saying to you, you can trust him. You can take what he says to heart and rest in the shadow of who he is. And so this psalm is, is from Jesus' perspective. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Wait a minute. How can your heart be glad and your tongue rejoice when you're going to a cross? Because Jesus had perspective of knowing that the cross was simply a temporary stop in an eternal purpose. And it wasn't beyond God's control and it wasn't an accident. It was God's intentional plan. It was the sovereignty of God that said, I am sending you through the cross because the cross is going to make a way for my people to know me. He says in verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. How is it that Jesus Christ facing the cross would have joy in the midst of that great tragedy and sorrow? How could he have it? Again, he saw through that. He saw the perspective. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus could find joy in the suffering of the cross, can you find joy in the suffering that you're dealing with? You know, we're, we're really good about complaining to God, aren't we? God, it's not fair. God, haven't you seen what I've done for you? God, I've been trying and it doesn't seem like I'm going anywhere. God, don't you, don't, don't, you, uh, don't you love me? God, don't you care? God, how could you? You ever notice how quickly we throw God under the bus when it comes to struggles in our life? Can I just say, though, that God is a good, good father. And his goodness is not about what he does. We just know of his goodness by looking at what he does he, his goodness is about who he is. At the end of the day, you and I must decide if we're going to believe what the word of God says about the character and nature of God. And if we choose not to believe that he is who he says he is, we're going to struggle with understanding this world. But if we choose to believe if God said he's good, then he's good. Even when I don't see it, he's good. Even when I don't feel it, he's good. When we get to that point where we simply choose to believe it because God has said it, it's a whole nother realm of peace. Does that make sense? Because we're no longer looking at what's going on with our eyes. We're saying, you know what? All of this stuff, all of this stuff is temporary. I can find joy even in the midst of it. So Jesus... The Bible tells us in Hebrews that, the joy, that through the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He considered it a joy to endure the cross. Some people would say because he saw us and he loved us so much, but I think that's really short-sighted. The truth is, he knew that the cross would bring glory to the Father. 
And that was his whole goal. In verse 29, the scripture says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb was there to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he, would play, be, uh, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out on you what you now see and hear. So in other words... Uh, the, 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 Peter is saying, look, I can tell you confidently that David believed what God had spoken, even though he didn't see it. He believed it. I skipped over this part, and I want to go back to it because it ties directly in. But in verse 26... It says, therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope. This verse has stuck with me all week long. The scripture, when it says, my body also will live in hope, what is, what is it talking about? Okay, the body, right? The body's physical. Now, the body's temporary, but the body's physical. This, this is the house that we get to live in, right? Um, the body... Will live in hope. If you have a New King James Version, what you find is it will say the body will abide in hope. This word abide literally means pitch a tent. So the body will pitch his tent in hope. Think about the, 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 the full understanding of that. This temporary body, this this, this thing that is mortal, this thing that is decaying. I mean, I am less healthy now than I was when I was a teenager. Why? Because the older I get, the slower my metabolism is and all that kind of stuff. And I know we're trying to keep healthy, but you know what I'm saying, right? I got creaks and I got, I got things that aren't as, as, as uh, I can't run as far. I, you know what I'm saying? The older you get, your body just starts to, to decay a little bit. And so this body, though, is, has pitched a tent in hope. I've pitched a tent. Now, what do you pitch a tent in? You pitch a tent to rest there, to stay there. When I'm going hiking, I try to find a place that has got water and it's got a view and all these things because it's where I'm going to settle in, right? My body has pitched a tent. I'm going to abide. I'm going to live in what? Hope. Turn to the person next to you and say, have you pitched your tent in hope? Now, we, we can't really grasp that so easily. And the reason is, we're seeing all of the bad stuff that's going on. But I'm saying, because of the hope of the resurrection, I am not disappointed. I have not lo- I'm not losing heart. I am not... Uh, 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 sad. I'm not broken hearted. Why? Because I see what's on the other side of all of this mess. It's the hope of the resurrected Christ. Peter stands up. And as he stands up and preaches, the thing that is on his heart is the hope of the resurrection. 
He says, David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, going back to the Old Testament. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You might have both Lord and Messiah. In other words, put it simply, Jesus is everything you will ever need in this life and more. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We sang a song, my hope is in you. Is your hope in Christ Jesus? You got family issues going on. How are you trying to solve that? Are you trying to just do better, fix things, or is your hope in Jesus? And that's not a, simplest, sim, a simplistic way of looking at it. That's the, that's the gospel truth. Is Jesus in the midst of that, or is Jesus just an extra? You've got issues uh, with your heart, or issues with your mind, or issues with whatever. Is Jesus in the midst of that? Because Jesus really is the answer. When the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. Every preacher's dream. They were cut to the heart. You know what that means? That means that the message was so powerful that when people heard it, they cringed with the weight of the truth of what they heard. As I was praying last night, I was praying, Lord, speak so powerfully that we are cut to the heart. That our response is not to wait, not to think about it, but our response is to, to say out loud, what must I do? What must I do? They were cut to the heart and they said to, to the Peter and the apostles, what must we do? How do we fix this? That is the question of the hour, folks. And you know, unfortunately, the question has been given the wrong answer too many times. What must we do to be made right with God? There are so many people right now who believe that to be made right with God, all they have to do is do enough good works to outweigh the bad works. There's this belief that there's this big giant scale and on this scale is all of your bad stuff and if you just do enough good stuff, the scale is gonna balance out and hopefully they'll be able to slip into God's presence by the hair on their chinny chin chin. But the Bible says that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So we stand before God, we say, man, don't I look good? And God goes, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? And then he peels open our heart and he says, what about this? There's nothing we can do to earn a place with God. What must I do? There's so many wrong answers. There are those who would say, well, I just have to be moral. I just have to love people. And the Bible tells us that there's none righteous. No, not one. There's no one that's good. There's no one that seeks after God. Some would say, well, I just have to be a part of a church. I just have to be faithful and go into church because that's, that's my duty. And the Bible says that you say you believe in God. Well, that's good for you. Even the demons believe and tremble, right? What must I do? Peter very clearly spells it out. He says, repent and be baptized. 
in the name of Jesus. Now, there are some who would say that this is a, this is a requirement that repent and physical baptism is what washes away sin and what causes a person to be saved. But we need to understand again what's going on in the context of here. Repent. That is a military term that is to turn your mind, turn your heart. It's essentially to agree with God that you are in need of a Savior. Ultimately, it's dealing with the number one issue of every person in this room. Pride. Pride is the biggest enemy we face. Pride is the thing that says, I got this. Thanks God, I'll take it from here. So to repent is literally to say, I don't got this. I'm, 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 I'm broken beyond repair in my own strength. It's a military term that means to, to turn 180 to God. So with repentance is then belief. Now here's the thing. To believe is actually a, a, a word that is translated as trust. It's faith. So the trust is demonstrated here in this sermon through baptism. Why is that? Because to be baptized in this context is literally to leave everything you know. And it's the same way in many parts of our world today. If you go to a predominantly Muslim country and you say, I follow Jesus, and then you are publicly baptized, you are walking away from your wife, your husband, your kids, your inheritance, your job. Literally, the entire community might say, we will no longer buy anything from you because you have wandered away into another faith. So to be baptized is to be a public believing follower of Jesus. So when Peter says believe, or excuse me, when he says repent and be baptized, he was saying to the crowd, turn completely to Jesus. Turn completely to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that the response to this was marvelous. About 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000 new believers. Why? Because they were cut to the heart. Why? Because the gospel of the kingdom of God was shared. So this brings us to you and to me in this moment. What gospel are you preaching, number one? What gospel are you preaching? I guess the more simple question is, are you preaching the gospel? The answer is yes, if you're a follower of Jesus. You're preaching a gospel because you claim the name of Christ, and therefore people look at you and they say, well, that must be what Jesus is like. What gospel are you preaching? Not just with your life, but what gospel are you preaching with your lips? Is it an American gospel? Or is it a Bible gospel? The American gospel is very self-centered. We talked about this last week. It's about me. It's about my, uh, my peace. And it's about my joy. And it's about my, uh, my life. And my blessing. That's an American gospel. But a Jesus gospel is about the glory and the nature of God. It's about saying, Jesus, my life is not my own. I serve at the pleasure of my king. 
It's saying, I take joy even in the midst of walking to the cross. Why? Because even through that, my God has not abandoned me. My God has not forsaken me. Let me tell you one thing that I think I know for sure based on history and based on the scripture. An American gospel will not last in the coming days as there's more and more chaos in our world. It doesn't fit. It won't, it won't hold up to the pressure of real persecution. But Jesus' gospel will not only last and endure, but it will invite and draw others to it. Why? Because it's the only true hope in this world. The only hope. What more hope can you find than death could not hold him? Death was overpowered and canceled. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though he may die, yet he will live. That is impossible hope. My prayer for you is that your hope would rest in firmly and squarely in the resurrected gospel or the resurrected king that we find in the gospel. The gospel according to Jesus. You close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. I'm going to ask you, where's your hope? Is there an excitement welling up inside of you even in the midst of a crazy world? Have you fixed your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith? Do you trust him? Not just the big stuff, but even in the details of your life. Father in heaven, I pray that today you would make clear your word to us. I pray that you would, would let it sink into the very depths of our soul. God, I pray that you would give life and hope. And God, I pray that you would would shine through us. God, may we stop striving to please you. And may we just love you. Because God, loving you is pleasing you. Father, would we lay down our own pride and would we lay down our own our own view of what we want to do for you. And may we let you simply have control of every corner of our life. Father, in this place this morning, I pray that you would would let us abide in hope. If you're here today and you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that even now. Repent and be baptized. Repent, place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've 
you've heard from God and you've not been obedient to what he's already said for you to do, I want to encourage you to to just say yes to him. What is that next step? Will you stand? And as you stand, let's sing this hymn of invitation. You respond to God as he leads you.